Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Grams. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2112 of our trek to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we are continuing with our ongoing series of messages that I've delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This series of messages will cover the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. I pray that it will be a conduit for learning and encouragement for you today. Well, we do thank you for everyone being here today that are able to, and just pray that the ones aren't be able to see the sermon online once we get it posted. And today is our 10th message in the series on the Sermon on the Mount. I can't believe it's been 10 weeks already. It has gone by quickly, and we should be able to wrap up our series next week on the Sermon on the Mount, and then come the 1st of August, we'll look at a different series. Today is a Christian's commitment, the four radical choices that we have as believers. And it's taken from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27, and it's page 1506 in the Pew Bible. If you want to follow along with me, I'll be reading from the New International today as we read the scripture. And as I said, there's four radical choices. The first choice is the narrow and wide gates. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Our second choice is between true and false prophets. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, everyone, every tree that bears good fruit, or every good tree bears good fruit, and every, a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Next, we have the true and false disciples. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only, those, only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Then our fourth choice is between the wise and foolish builders. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man, a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears my words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who has built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. As we continue on from the reading of the scripture, as I mentioned last week in Matthew chapter 7, consists of several self-contained paragraphs, and the connecting thread that runs through chapter 7, however loosely, is that of relationships. It would seem quite logical after Christ describes the Christian character, our influence, our righteousness, or right living, our holiness, and our ambition, that Jesus would now concentrate finally on our relationships. And today we're going to explore how these relationships are tied to our commitment 
as Christ followers. As citizens of God's kingdom, we choose to support the kingdom of God and build it up, or we destroy it from within by making wrong choices. Now, all choices have consequences. Every choice that we make in life has a consequence with it. And our choices can be seen in an analogy as far as our king, the choices for the kingdom of heaven to those citizens of the United States that have the advantages and the benefits of a free society, and then they try to destroy the very foundation that the benefits provide for them. And we've seen this probably enhanced over the last year or so. It's happened in our past, so it's not something new. But that is what it's like if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, but then you don't work to support that kingdom. Christ's emphasis here is more strongly about the necessity of choice. And we've learned that we had two kinds of right living, two treasures, two masters, and two ambitions. And now it's time for radical decision making, and it's come. This is where the rubber meets the road, as the old expression goes. And the choice is to be a citizen of the domain of Satan or a citizen of the, of the kingdom of God. And the choice is to adopt the prevailing culture in our society today or the Christian counterculture. Jesus continues with his presentation of the alternatives when he describes these choices. There's two ways, the broad and the narrow, two teachers, the false and the true, two pleas between words and deeds, and finally, two foundations, the sand and the rock. The first one is, John, on our first slide, I have four slides today that correspond with these four radical choices. It's an inescapable choice, and this is verses 13 and 14. What immediately is striking about these verses is the absolute nature of the choices before us. Of course, when we have choices to make, we would like a plethora of choices where we could choose from 13 different ice cream flavors. And the more options we have, the better we like it. Yet Jesus insists, ultimately, there is only but one choice. Do you choose the narrow or the broad way? But there's four aspects to these two choices that we have, and I want to go through these four aspects. The first one is that there's two ways. One way is easy and wide, although this scripture was written over 2,000 years ago. The catchphrases that are used are just as applicable today. There's plenty of room on the wide highway for diversity of opinion and laxity of morals. It's the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no guardrails, no boundaries of either thought or conduct. Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations, that is, the desires of their own heart, which has fallen. No effort is, easy, is required to practice these choices. Whatever is right in your own eyes is why the broad road is so easy. You go along to get along. That is, unless you're living according to God's precepts. And in that case, you're censored, or in our modern terminology that's used re recently is, you're canceled. But the other way is narrow and difficult. Its boundaries are clearly marked. The narrowness is due to something called 
divine revelation, which restricts us as pilgrims on this road to the confines that are God revealed in the scripture, which is the difference of being true and good. Thus, we have Christ as our trail guide. And this is an important note that although this way is narrow and difficult, Christ is with us and he helps us to carry our backpack, you would say. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, Christ says, For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. Secondly, there are two gates under this first choice. The one gate is leading to the easy way, which is wide. It's a wide gate. It's very easy to get through, and it's a simple matter to get on this wide road. There's no limit to the amount of baggage that you can take with you. We leave nothing behind, not even our sin, our self-righteousness, or our pride. The gate leading to the hard way, though, is a narrow gate, one that you have to desire to even find it. To enter the gateway of life, you must leave everything behind, our sin, selfish ambition, covetousness, and even, if necessary, our family and friends. No one can follow Christ without first fully denying themselves. Now, you might think of this narrow gate that goes off to the side here as a turnstile gate. A turnstile gate you find in amusement parks or in subways. And one of the factors of the turnstile gate is it's one at a time. Only one person can go through this gate at a time. And this is the narrow gate. It's entered one by one. But how can we find this gate if it's so difficult? Christ himself says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Christ is that turnstile gate that you must go through to get on the narrow road. Thirdly, there's two destinations. The New Living um, Translation describes the wide path, path as the highway to hell is broad. It leads to eternal death. But by contrast, the narrow gate leads to eternal life as we become citizens of God's kingdom. And fourthly, there's two crowds. Entering by the wide gate, many choose that way. The broad and easy road is a busy thoroughfare, thronged by people of every kind, striving to build their own kingdoms. However, the narrow and hard way leads to life, and it seems comparatively few are on that road, because Christ says, and only a few ever find it. And that brings us to our second slide, John. And this is to beware of false teachers. And this is verses 15 through 20. And first we see some assumptions that Jesus says here. Jesus is telling us to beware of false prophets and teachers. So Jesus assumed that there were false prophets and teachers. And unfortunately, I fear that our church today still has many false prophets and teachers in it. In telling us to beware of the false prophets, Jesus made another assumption that there was such a thing as an objective standard for truth. Jesus held that truth and falsehood excluded one another. You can't have both. And that those who propagate lies in God's name are false prophets or teachers. And we who follow are his followers must be aware, be, be aware of them. And that brings us to the warnings in verse 15. It says, beware of the false prophets who dis, are, come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. And we learn from this metaphor that false prophets are both dangerous 
and deceptive. Now, if I were a wolf and I wanted to fool people into thinking I was a sheep, then I would put on some fleece. And with this fleece, I'm disguised as a wolf, or as a sheep, sorry. The danger is that, in reality, they are really wolves. And in the first century Palestine, the wolf was the natural enemy of the sheep, who were entirely defenseless against them. As Jesus was, a, was to teach later, a good shepherd was always on the lookout for these wolves so he could protect his sheep. And by contrast, the hired laborer, who was not the sheep owner, did not really care about them, and he abandoned the flock at first sight, and the wolf would be able to attack and scatter the flock. And the word fleecing somebody comes from that analogy where you put on fleece when in, indeed you're a wolf underneath. In other words, the false teacher does not announce or advertise himself as a purveyor of lies. On the contrary, he claims to be a teacher of the truth. So Jesus says, beware. We must be on our guard, pray for discernment, use our critical faculties, and never relax our vigilance. We must not be dazzled by a person's outward clothing, his charm, his learning, his doctorates, or his ecclesiastic honors. Now, I don't have too much problem with that, and if I was as tall as John was and suave looking, then maybe I'd be able to discern or deceive people, but it's pretty plain with me. We must not be so naive to suppose that we must, that a person must be true just because they had some sort of certificate of higher learning. Instead, we must look beneath the appearance of re into reality, what lives under that fleece? Is it a sheep or a wolf? And we have some tests that Christ noticed, and he uses a description of a fruit. So he's noticed the assumption that Jesus made and warnings that he gave. We go ready to look how we can attest who's false and who's true and what we apply. First, Jesus changed the metaphor from a sheep and wolves to tree and their fruit. From the sheep clothing a wolf may wear to a fruit that a tree must bear. In doing so, he's moved from the risk of non-recognition as we see the wolf dressed up like a sheep. If you took it at first glance, you might think that was a sheep. So they're able to deceive him. But he says you cannot make a mistake with a tree. No tree can hide its identity for very long. Sooner or later, it betrays itself by its fruit. A wolf may disguise itself, a tree cannot. Noxious weeds and thorns and thistles simply cannot produce edible fruit like apples, grapes, or figs. The tree's condition determines the fruit's character. And if there's any evidence of fruit, in the verse 17 it says, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Now growing up on an apple orchard, we were very familiar with both scenarios the good fruit, and those trees that just had rotten fruit on them. And they weren't anything good except for maybe throwing at my siblings. But we can easily tell the difference between the two. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit, in verse 18. And the Day of Judgment will finalize that difference in verse 19 when Christ says, So every tree that does not produce good fruit 
is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, the conclusion that Jesus emphasizes twice in these few verses, in verse 16 and 20, yes, just as it can, you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their action. And what are these fruits? The first kind of fruit which the false prophet reveals is their true identity in the realm of the character and their conduct. In Jesus' allegory of the vine, fruitfulness also means Christ-likeness. The best listing of what we should look for in a prophet or teacher is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. So if a prophet, preacher, or teacher does not display these qualities that I just read, but the opposite of those, we are justified in suspecting that they are an imposter, regardless of their own pretentious claims of sincere teaching. A prophet's fruits are the character or their manner of life, both in the church, how they act in church, but most importantly, how they act outside of the church. A parallel passage to this passage here is taken from Luke chapter 6, verse 45, and it says, A good person produces good things from a treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from a treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. Sound teaching, by contrast, produces faith, love, and godliness. Therefore, to determine a good teacher or prophet from a false one, you should analyze what they teach, but you should also include close, close and critical scrutiny of their character, their conduct, their message, their motives, and influence in all areas of life. And I'd be hypocritical to say that you should not hold me as a teaching deacon right now to those same standards. If my life ever contradicts what I preach, then I need to be called out on it because that is not being a true prophet or teacher. And this ends in verse 20. Jesus concludes the delineation of the Christian relationships. And we look back and bring them together. We see how rich and varied they are. And this takes us to our next radical choice in the Christian's commitment. John, if we can go to slide three, please. The radical choice to become a true disciple. So Jesus confronts us with himself. He sets before us the radical choice between obedience and disobedience and calls for the unconditional commitment of mind, will, and life to his teaching. Now, throughout this series, we've had referred to Christians as citizens of God's kingdom. Now, as citizens of the United States, one of the ways we can tell is if you have a passport to travel, this shows that I'm a citizen of the United States. And I have a passport, I can go to other countries, but more importantly, I can get back into the United States because I have a passport to do so. And throughout this series, we've referred to this. In these verses, let's use this analogy. Come in your imagination with me and say there was a group of 50 people from either China or Russia, or pick any country that you want, and they have legally applied for citizenship in the United States. They have studied hard, they've passed all their tests, but at the final moment, say 10 of these 50 
were discovered to be part of a secret agent group. They were spies to their original country. The scenario is this setting that we're looking at today, and it's the danger of mere verbal profession in verses 21 and 20 through 23. The people Jesus is describing here are relying on salvation or citizenship by creedal affirmation on what they say and or think about or say or do about Christ. But Christ says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And like the analogy of these citizens, this group of 50 citizens, or ones that are applying for citizenship, every one of them aced their citizenship exam. They recited the Constitution and all the laws by heart. But the litmus test was that they were unwilling to pledge their full allegiance to the United States. And in doing so, what they promised to become citizens is null and void. They were found out to be false. And they will not be allowed to enter as citizens of our country. And the reason for this rejection, take it to what Christ is saying here, is that, G is that by Jesus is that they, their profession was verbal, but not internal. These spies weren't really wanting to be citizens, they're wanting to infiltrate our country. In the same way, it's concerned that their lips did not mask or, or match up with their life. They called Jesus Lord, Lord, but never submitted to his lordship or obeyed the will of his heavenly father. And Jesus expands this section on becoming true citizens of his kingdom. In verses 22 and 23, he says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your names. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. The reason Christ the judge will banish them from his kingdom is that they were actually evildoers, evil just like a group of spies would be. And they claim to do mighty works in their ministry, but their everyday behavior their works were not, good, were, good, were not good, but evil. And it would be the same for those who desired citizenship in the United States. And that takes us to our fourth radical choice today. John, last slide, please. And this is the danger of a mere intellectual knowledge. The following parable from Jesus is very familiar. We all know the children's song about building on the rock and sand. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Jesus illustrates the contrast between obedient and disobedient hearers, as well in this well-known parable about two builders. The wise builder dug deep into the soil and constructed his house on the bedrock, the solid rock. The foolish builder, who could not be bothered with the foundation, was content to build on the sand. As both got on with their building, say they were two identical houses in this cookie-cutter neighborhood. As they got, the buildings went up, a casual observer would walk by and say, they look identical to me. I don't see any difference between those two houses. For the difference was in the foundation, and the foundation on most houses is not even seen. Only when the storm hit and battered both houses with great fierceness, and the, fun, the fundamental and fatal differences were revealed. The house on the rock stood, withstood the storm, while the house on the sand collapsed into irreparable ruin. 
In the same way, professing Christians, both those who are genuine in a profession and those who are imitating it, often look alike. You cannot easily tell which is which. Both appear to be building Christian lives. Jesus is not contrasting a Christian with a non-Christian here. He's contrasting two people who believe and hear his word. On the contrary, what is familiar to both these spiritual house builders is that they both hear the words of Jesus. So both of them could be considered a member of the visible Christian community. They may both read their Bibles. They may both go to church. They may both go listen to sermons or buy Christian literature. And you often cannot tell the difference between them because the deep foundations of their lives are hidden from our view. The real question is not whether they hear Christ's teaching or not even if they respect or believe it, but whether they do what they hear. Only when the storms reveal the truth, sometimes the storms of crisis and calamity shows what manner of person we really are. For true devotion is not fully distinguished from the counterfeit until it comes to a trial. The storms of the day of judgment will undoubtedly show the difference. And as we're beginning to wrap up our Sermon on the Mount and our message for today, next week we'll we'll complete this series. On the same note of radical choices of which we've been aware of all along, Jesus does not set before his followers a string of ethical rules like the scribes and the Pharisees say, do this, this, and this, and you will be righteous. No, Christ has a set of values and ideals that are distinctively different from the way of the world. Jesus calls us to renounce the prevailing secular culture in favor of a Christian counterculture. Repeatedly during these last 10 weeks of our study, we've heard his call as his citizens to be different from everyone else. In Jesus' manifesto, he commissioned us to be both the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And these metaphors set the Christian apart from the non-Christian communities. They set one against the other, against those because there are recognizable, fundamental, and distinct differences. The world is like rotting food, full of bacteria, which causes it to disintegrate. It would be like the rotten apples that we saw in the previous slide. Jesus' followers are to be salt, to stop and arrest that decay. The world is a dark, or can be a dark and dismal place. It lacks sunshine with people living in shadows. But Jesus' followers are to be light, dispelling the darkness and its gloom. And the overriding purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to present us with an indispensable necessity of choice in our lives. Next week, as I mentioned, we'll conclude our series on the Sermon on the Mount with a recap about a radical teacher, or the radical teacher. Today's content is so appropriate, though, that as Jesus sketches us two ways, the narrow and the broad, and two buildings, the rock and the sand, it would be impossible to exaggerate the importance of the choice between the paths that we take, because one leads to life and the other leads to destruction. Or the two buildings that we build, because one is built on a rock which will never crash 
The other is built on sand, which will be overwhelmed with disaster. But however, far more consequential than the choice of even our occupation or a choice of a life partner is a choice about life itself. So as we conclude today, let me ask you these two questions as I ask myself. Which road are you going to travel? And which foundation are you going to build on? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for these four radical choices that you've given us in today's lesson. May we choose wisely. May we build on the foundation. May we choose the road that is narrow and difficult, but knowing that Christ is there to ease our burden. May the choices we make every day be a choice to further your kingdom here on earth as citizens of your kingdom, Father. And we won't ever undermine it, but to strengthen it. That others may see us as salt and light and come to recognize and know their need for Christ and accept him. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.